the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, happy uh, the day before Easter. So let's uh, start off thinking positively. Education is the kindling of a flame, not the filling of a vessel, Socrates. And people will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkest conscious. And a 12-year-old from Ohio last week said something remarkable, I thought. And uh, so I'll just repeat what they said, or she said. If we all did our best, the world would not need saving. <laughs> and then finally, in this tomorrow's Easter, why seek ye living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. <laughs> That's uh, from the Bible, if you hadn't, hadn't figured that out. Okay, so anyway, uh, you know, we always talk about on this show that uh, one of the great things you can do is uh, you can uh, go to my webpage from WHK's webpage. If you go to WHK 1420 AM, hit the local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, you can go directly to Tim Hayes' webpage. Uh, and don't forget, I mean, the insight page is constantly, the information is constantly changing there. And also Bob, I mean, uh, Rob Schleimer, I keep saying Bob Dickey, sorry, you know, for 14 years, Bob and I were really close friends. Uh, Rob Schleimer's stuff is on there under Trend and Cycle, and uh, it's called Roadmap, and he publishes that once a week. That is really good information, folks, and uh, I'll leave it at that. <clears throat> if you'd like to get any of our, our, our information, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, you know, I just read something, uh, and, well, I'll just talk about uh, the electrical grid. Hey, if we're going all the electric cars, I'm guaranteeing you're going to be spending a lot more money in electricity than you ever thought you were. And not only is that, I think your rates are going to go up probably 40 or 50 percent over the course of the next 10 years, which is what the the uh, the liberal agenda is not telling you. You know, uh, when we all switch over to electric, there's two things. Number one, you know, they can shut the car down anytime they want. The police can because they'll have the software. Trust me on that one. Second of all, the price of electricity is going to go up because there's going to be huge demand for it. It's already bad enough, you know, so something to think about. But. Insight, uh, and then go to the bulletin board. And if you'd like to contact me or have a cup of coffee, you know, feel free to uh, just say, I'd like to have a cup of coffee or we'd like to talk about our portfolio, that type of thing. So um, anyway, you know, I, I was looking at, at Lori Calvacina's stuff and she's been, boy, she's been right. You know, she said to back off on oil a little bit. Uh, now, I, I think you got to back off on oil, but I'm going to talk about oil service uh, coming up here. So. Uh, I think you got to be careful how you, you know, how how aggressive you get on that part. But one of the more remarkable signs of resiliency in the U.S. equity market so far has been the increase that's occurred in the bottom-up consensus earnings per share forecast for the S&P. You know, these forecasts, which are an aggregation of stock-level predictions, have moved to $230 from $222 in January. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting. So. I don't know if those stats don't tell quite the full story of expectations heading into the second quarter, but at least in my opinion, while some modest margin expansion is baked into those uh, stats, uh, in general, sell-side consensus numbers appear to be baking in a flattening of margin trends. So that's that's fairly interesting. And over the past few days, we've you know we've looked at the trends at the sector level for EPS growth and revenue growth and operating margins, that type of thing. And once again, it's uh, energy's number one for sure. Uh, the growth expectations on energy are up there. But what's more important about energy 
is the cash flow numbers. Okay, that's what these companies are concentrating on. They're not digging. Okay, you know the the government has said basically you ain't digging. They're not going to let you. Right, so they're not digging. They're just worried about their cash flow, and I think that's very very important. And so, look uh, if you if you take a look and you try to be objective about things, the the hot topics are uh, earnings, Ukraine, inflation, price hikes, labor. And the Fed. Okay, so that's what we got to think about going forward. Now, I guess what you know the the key. And I was listening to Tom Porcelli this week. You know, who's our head economist? He was actually I listened to him on CNBC. Just so you know, um, you know, he said something, and I I, I was taken back. He said, you know, there's a lot of talk at this moment about uh, how many increases we're going to have, and I'm going to talk about what Tom Lee said Friday or Thursday. I'm sorry. But like any Fed official who's been speaking has been uttering words of engineering a soft landing. But, you know, can they do it? Number one. Number two, they're all very aggressive posture. You know, they're all talking about eight, nine, you know, increases. And I guess the question is, if the doves cry, will Powell listen? Will Powell hear them? Let alone will he listen? All right. So that's something that you have to take. In, into uh, uh, I, I think some serious serious thought are they going to get too aggressive or is he going to listen All right, uh, and I think that's going to be very very important now look I had a lot of people ask me about oil and gas and as you may recall and I've said probably like 10 weeks in a row now we were recommending oil and gas last year All right, it's been a home run I even had some of my clients not do it so if you didn't do it I can understand it you know it, it, you got to start thinking different I'll just tell you that. But, you know, one of the areas I talked about <clears throat> oil and gas producers, okay, and the integrated companies for those people who were scared to death. I bought Exxon and I bought Chevron. Uh, now, I'm not buying those now. All right. They're up a lot. Uh, you know, but Exxon had an 8.5% dividend yield and Chevron had like a 5.5-6. Uh, by the way, Chevron took off big time and I, a little overdone right now, so I wouldn't do it. But And then we bought some of the uh, expiration companies, the EMP companies, as they call them, and Matador was our main pick. Now I think you got to shift gears because I'm going to tell you, I, this is my Tim Hayes's personal opinion, but after reading uh, uh, from Salema Croft and some of our people in the commodities area, it sounds to me like we're going to have to spend a lot of money to get this, this commodity thing back in shape. Because remember, I you know if you've come to see me, I have shown you the commodity chart where we were down 80%. I said it on this show 20, 30 times at least. All right. Nobody spent any money during that period. Nobody did. Not on agriculture, not on anything. All right. So, in order to get commodities down, the CapEx spending's got to go up. So, one of the areas I think is, is, is a pretty good place to be, if, especially if oil fills the gap here. Okay. Which, you know, I could be a, $8 gap from the Ukrainian war. You know, uh, actually, it looks like it's turning back up, so I'm not going to say it's going to fill that gap, but is oil and gas equipment and service companies. Uh, you know, we see an attractive environment for revenue growth and margin expansion in the oil field service sector, especially in North America uh, equipment. You know, and, you know, you add the visibility to the international project execution becomes even clearer, all right? So, Increasing revenue cor forecasts for higher EMP activity levels. You know, there's a lot of companies out there that are exploring again, but not as much. Okay, they won't start to do a lot of it until the government yells uncle. Okay, which may come sooner than you think. So, I think you're going to see that they're going to work on improving ca uh, capacity utilization, and they're also, you know, which sets up margin a good margin environment. By the way. But they're still going to be keeping that cash flow in the corner of their eye, all right? So it's going to be an interesting time. And I, by the way, I, I think it's going to be across the board. And, you know, the, the other thing I, I could say is that, you know, gold ain't giving up anything. You know, they raised interest rates once, maybe raise them again. And gold, gold looks like there's a big bit. And now, you know, Russia is talking about tying the ruble to gold because they bought $2 trillion worth. That's where the bid was. You know, remember, I, I talked about the bid, you know, it was a big bid under gold. 
in November. Then I talked about it again in December. Then I talked a little bit about it in January. So there you go. So, you know, we get back to that, that scenario, folks, where I think you need the barbell portfolio. And, and by the way, it, one of the things I think might be really interesting right now is the Treasury inflation protected bonds. You know, if inflation just came in 11.5%, you know, that's what the, the CPI and PPI numbers showed. That's a pretty high number. All right. So that might be uh, an int- for all you fixed income people, that might be an interesting scenario. But, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> we've been talking about this <clears throat> huge battle between growth and value. And <clears throat> growth won for eight straight years. All right. And I talked about that. And I was probably right until the pandemic hit. And then the Fed did it again. OK, they lowered interest rates to zero. It's, you know, and then you had P.E. ratios go to the moon. And with, I mean, look, they gave out $2.5 trillion. Congress gave out, all right? People were buying cars with them. You know, uh, car prices have gone through the roof. Used cars prices. I tell you, the specialty car area, you know, the guys that, you know, take an old car and, and move, you know, do some serious work on it and then sell it, that, that has gone absolutely through the roof, all right? So value versus growth. What we're seeing, I think, is that growth is starting to take a little bit of a hit. But I think value will be good. But I think if interest rates come back down, remember, the 30-year treasuries getting interesting. The 10 years getting really interesting. The 10-year is right. The yield it is just about to break out going back 40 years. So we've been in a 40-year yield decline. And we're just about to break out. If that happens, the world's going to change. Because let me tell you, that's going to kill the deficit. <laughs> uh, it is. It's going to kill the deficit. So one of the other things everybody's going to look for is the growth PE valuation versus the S&P 500. It's still way above it should. So you want to have this barbell approach. You know, the, the, the actual bar, the bell, I mean, the 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 the, um, the key ingredient is, is the, is what holds it up, okay? And that I would be the prime income list, the dividend growth. Remember, we've been talking about REITs and utilities going up, okay? And then we have some solid dividend growers. And on the right-hand right hand side, we have the value group. And then on the left-hand side, we have the growth group. And I think, uh, you know, you want to tilt a little bit more to the value side right at the moment. But when you do that, you tend to get a better return over the long run. Hey, let's take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Uh, just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. Uh, once again, if you want to have a cup of coffee with me uh, or want to talk about your portfolio, remember, we can do a wealth plan for a prospect now, okay? And it's really good because you, you, when you, you go into playground, once you've done your wealth plan, you can see, hey, is my plan going to work? And if it isn't, maybe you need our help, okay? So don't forget that. Uh, there's a thing called an electrolyzer tracker, all right? And it's very important because it's in a lot of the, the smokestacks and, uh, and that type of thing. Um, and it's, it's energy. It's, it's called the European Energy Trilemma. Uh, Europe, Europe does a lot of it. Between what they're trying to do is decarbonize, you know, and uh, the energy costs and domestic energy security issues uh, are very, very powerful themes in Europe. And we have a great report on that. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on because of, the price of nickel and steel. So it'll be interesting, but that's something you can get from us uh, and we'll take it from there. Now, you know, Tom Lee came out with a great note this week, but I want to talk about a few things first. You know, everybody's concerned with the end of the world right now. Okay. Uh, the retail investor is, is scared and, and I, don't, I get it. You know, uh, you, know you read, uh, tell you, if you listen to CNN, or you, or you listen to CNBC for a day, you can jump out a window, no problem. But you got to remember, the financial conditions 
in the last couple of sell-offs, uh, and you know, I'm talking about like 2008, 2007 were really bad, and then 2010 and 2011 were really bad, uh, and then they got really, really bad again in 2020, uh, 2019, let's say, uh, at the end of 2018, early 2019, because the Fed was raising rates and we had a lot of leverage. We don't have so much uh, le- leverage at this point. So, you know, 2008 was really bad. 2018, 19 was, was bad. And then, you know, uh, so w- w- what we're seeing is a, is a lack of financial um, leverage, which is really kind of important uh, because, you know, the nominal yields are still negative, all right? So if we look at the yield curve, it popped up pretty quickly uh, on the 10-year, and now it's threatening the 40-year downtrend. 40-year downtrend we're talking about. This is historic, folks. You know, you should be paying close attention to this. But one of the things that we watch is the case freight index, and it usually leads the CPI by about six months. And it's basically fallen off the, the map, okay? It was positive almost 7.5%, uh, the year-over-year change, and now it's negative. So I think there's some things happening that people, you know, got to think about before they go out and say, hey, inflation is going to take over. Now, Tom Lee this week, uh, you know, Tom works for Fundstrat. Uh, we fortunately get all his research, uh, him and Mark Newton and some of the, you know, their, their Washington correspondents great, and they got a great quantitative guy. And when we put together with RBC, we got a dynamite piece of, uh, you know, dynamite information, by, by the way. So what we saw this week uh, from the major inflation prints, we had a strong CPI yesterday, or the day before, I'm sorry. And uh, on Wednesday, we had the, the PPI, and it was plus one, ex-food and energy. That's a 40-year high, by the way, year over year. Yet two things are happening. Odds of a, hate, uh, a Fed hate, uh, rate high, I'm sorry. Uh, for for a year in 2022 have dropped from nine to eight in just the past three days. Isn't that interesting? And then the yield curve, the 10 yield year versus less is the two year is dramatically steepening. That's interesting too. Uh, and extra credit, it, you know, equities managed to show some pretty strong, you know, backing uh, on Wednesday. So we'll see what happens. So, uh, you know, now what Tom was talking about was, hey, you want to be in Bitcoin, you want to be in Bitcoin miners, and you want to be in, in the FANG stocks or the MANG stocks, is, you know, because we changed uh, Facebook's name. So we'll see what happens there. Look, I think another area that is really getting interesting, uh, you know, look, the world's beset by accelerating change and there's conflicts between countries. Over resources, rising tensions, and all that good stuff. There's cyber warfare, et cetera. You know, insurance companies play a unique role in both helping companies mitigate, uh, mitigate. I'm sorry, uh, exposures as well as providing risk transfer. And one of the things that we're seeing is that we're seeing there's new battlegrounds in the cyber insurance area, and they may be big things. I think, uh, you know. Mark Dwelly, who's one of the best analysts in the field, uh, you know, he's talked about, uh, you know, in our Imagine piece that we talked about, Imagine uh, 2055 or 2025, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we put out a couple of years ago, we talked about it on the show for a long time. Uh, you know, he talked about two themes, uh, number one, preparing for hyperdrive, and then also the Great Balancing Act. And I think if you look at this, the U.S. was hit by a massive cyber attack that caused outages at several major institutions or parts of the company. What are the implications? What could the insured loss total look like? Uh, what if there was a major cyber attack on the U.S. government by another country? And what would the economic fallout be? You know, so insurance companies are going to play a big role here. And uh, he has a really good piece on it. And uh, if you'd like it, let us know. Uh, we'd get it to you. I, I think it's going to be important because there'll be some people who you know, need to pay attention. <laughs> now, um, a while back, you know, I said that usually when you have the invasion occur, the bottom is put in and that in the past oil has peaked. Well, oil was 132 that day. It's now 104. It does look like it's made a short-term bottom. So we'll see what happens. But uh, we did bottom on that day. Matter of fact, we broke below major support 
and then rallied above it. That's what they call an undercut, and it, it's very positive. So that's something to think about, all right? And it's going forward, you have to be thinking, remember, you can't look in the rearview mirror. You know, stocks are thinking six to nine months ahead. So, uh, look, we we rallied strongly into the end of March. The S&P 500 continues to, uh, you know, continue to pull back up until Wednesday, and then it turned around a little bit. There's no shortage <laughs> of reasons to be cautious. Central banks, banks raising interest rates, inflation, slowing earnings growth, the war in Europe, just to name a few. But investor sentiment, so bearish. You know, as the S&P pulls back and it's testing its bottom range, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, you know, 15% bulls in the AAII poll, and then institutions is only 24.7 bulls. So those are some of the lowest readings I can remember in my history, and I've been around a while. You know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, so what we're seeing is some stuff that is, is interesting. Now, one of the things I have been no noticing on the S&P is that we still have that 4,100, 4,200. as kind of a line in the sand, all right? You know, if it breaks 4,200, you got to be careful. If it breaks 4,100, you got to be really careful, all right? Um, and But the weekly momentum indicators are showing some early signs of bottoming, all right? Now, the bullish percent has something else to say. <laughs> and the other thing I would suggest is that the, the daily momentum on on the on the market, uh, you know, we talked about it last week. Looked like it was peaking, and it has, but it's already below zero, so it might be a, a short, fast sell off. And uh, Wednesday was gave me a little bit of hope. And the Nasdaq Composite, you know, we still have to look um, at that thirteen thousand level. I think that's the the line in the sand. You got to be careful. The one thing I will say is, if you look at the Nasdaq, and we take a, a on a relative basis to the S and P five hundred. It's in, it looks terrible. Now, several people this week said that the NASDAQ composite, the average stock is down over 40%. Wow. You know, that doesn't happen very often in, in, in my life. Uh, it's never happened. So, uh, but we do have a huge rounding formation in the, in the NASDAQ. So it's, it's probably going to go sideways before, for a while before it goes anywhere else. I think one of the key things that you have to pay very close attention to is this 10-year yield. We are literally testing the secular downtrend in that yield that began in 1981. The question is, how many were you, of you out there were around in 1981? <laughs> Email me and tell me. All right. Uh, so that was, you know, that was a long time ago. That was a long, long time ago, and uh, so. You know, we're looking at maybe a game changer, okay, where people actually start to buy bonds again, okay? And we don't, you know, why does it matter? You know, what level matters? I don't know. Uh, I think the key technical level would be the 280. If we broke that, that would break the downtrend line and get a lot of people nervous. Now, there was a very large put option trade, which means you think, you know, the price is going down and uh, on Treasury bonds, on the TLT. Uh, so that was actually on the bond, which would mean yields will continue to go up. All right. Because uh, when yields go up, bonds go down. If you have a, a bond portfolio, I think if you check it this week, you'll be very unhappy <laughs> uh, because. When yields go up, bonds go down. And if you have a mutual fund or you have a you know a bond portfolio, you're probably getting beat up pretty bad right now. So uh, that's something uh, to think about. Now, on the other hand, you know we've been talking about these latter portfolios, and if you've got money coming due every once one or two years, uh, now might be a good time to buy some more. You know, and there may come a time when it's really good to buy. Who knows? But uh, uh, you know, a lot of the work Fed's work right now has been done by the market. The Fed's way behind, but the market's already done the work for them. I mean, when you have the two-year go from 25 basis points to almost two and a quarter, uh, that's two percentage points in, in yield up above. So that's how the Fed, you know, the Fed ups short-term interest rates and long-term interest rates supposedly go with it. So, you know, I, I will say that the, the, 
the long-term interest rates have spiked up. So it's the steepening of the yield curve coming up here. So uh, something to think about. Now, uh, some people ask me about crude. I think crude's okay. I just I think you got to let it sit for a while before you buy the stocks anyway. So we'll just leave it there. Hey, let's take a break. Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Stay tuned. There must be some kind of way out of here. Said a joker to the thief. Okay, uh, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. Once again, you know, if you want to get into the material we talk about, like the dividend growth or the prime income list, or even our best idea list, uh, I haven't been talking about the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook because uh, if you would have locked in the, the rate about uh, four months ago, eight months ago when I started talking about it, it would have been a good time. But the U.S. electrical grid, you got to pay attention to that because that's going to be a big winner going forward. Um, I just got a... Uh, an, an email about J.P. Morgan, and J.P. Morgan help support, but it, I, I think you got to be careful with it. <laughs> uh, it does have a great dividend, and Jamie Dimon is buying back like $50 billion worth of stock, so I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, anyway, uh, and I can't, uh, I'm not going to comment about crypto anymore because I don't really follow it, and uh, so Mark uh, sorry, can't help you out. But I will talk about the bullish percent. This is one of our main risk guides. And what it does is just says, you know, when we have a chart from zero to 100 and uh, when we get over 70, that means 70% of the stocks look good on their charts. That's when you should be nervous. Okay. Uh, you got to start thinking differently. And when we're a column of X's, we have the offensive team on the field. When we have a column of O's, we get the defensive team on the field. If we get below 20 or 30, I'm sorry, that's the green zone. That's when people are crying in their beer. They don't want to talk to me, you know, uh, whatever it may be. And that is when you should be greedy. So you got to turn your mindset around a little bit. Uh, anyway, the bullish percent was down 5.3% last week and went into a column of O's. Now, 50 isn't a bad you know, terrible place, but it can still be painful. Uh, the over-the-counter index uh, went into a column of O's too. And, uh, no, I'm sorry. It's still in a column of X's, but it's like 0.3 away. <laughs> Don't think it's going to hold. Uh, and then uh, our friends at the, the World Index are three away from breaking down, but they're still in a column of X's. So the, that means the larger stocks are leading the way down. And uh, that, that's usually not a good sign. But uh, what's really interesting, I think, is uh, energy and basic materials and financials, number one, two, and three. Uh, industrials are four behind that, uh, utilities five. Technology is now third to last, tied third to last with consumer cyclical. Uh, I'll mention this again. I've been mentioning this for a while, but healthcare. Okay, so if we're going value and growth, now growth is the energy side and the basic material side. They're in favored sectors, all right? But the value may be in communication services. By the way, Facebook is a, or Metaverse is a big proponent of that. And healthcare is still down there. Now, healthcare, basic materials, and energy were down there for three or four years together. Lowest form of life. And healthcare is still there. You know what? There's still a lot of really good companies in the healthcare area. I mean, like really good companies. Uh, you know, I talked last week about the medical distribution companies. I think they look really, really good. Now, the other thing um, I would suggest is if I look at the bullish percent for semiconductors, it's down to 28%. And if I look at the positive trend for semiconductors, uh, it's at 22%. So you would think we'd see something uh, bounce at least, but it doesn't look so good. And by the way, these those figures, you know, when you get down to 20, 22%, they can stay for a while, all right? And by, you know, semiconductors uh, bottomed out at eight a while back. And, you know, you know, so they can go a lot further down is what I'm saying. Or they, So you got to be careful with your semiconductor stocks. Uh, I'm watching them very, very closely. I don't like uh, the action in a couple of 
the big names. Uh, I don't like them, and I, I'm, I'm waiting very patiently, but I'm not going to be too much uh, – I'm no longer going to be uh, patient, let's put it that way. You know, we had a couple uh, that broke their downtrend line only to get creamed right after that. So it's, it's, it's tough uh, when you're looking at point-and-figure charts. But once again, I think if you look at dynamic asset level investing, energy is still the place to be. Basic materials number two. I especially like chemicals. And I especially like the grains, okay? Uh, anything that in the chemical area that deals with grains. Grains look, you know, unfortunately, you can buy grains via an ETF. But remember, you have a K-1, and they deliver that K-1 the day before your your uh, your taxes are due usually. So just be careful if you're buying them. Uh, and also financials uh, are still there, but it's not the banks. It's other financials. Insurance companies, that's why I brought it up. You know, insurance companies are going strong. Will they continue if there's big cyber attacks? Uh, but industrials are no longer uh, uh, considered favored, okay? And technology is second to last, second to last or third to last, so tied four. So it's uh, it's interesting. But healthcare remains down there, and they've been down there for a long, long time. And there's a lot of good healthcare companies. So I just think you know if if you're in the financials, I think you want to overweight them, but I think you got to overweight them. In, in certain areas, okay, because they're beating up the banks a little bit. But I, I do think, uh, you know, beating up J.P. Morgan, which I don't feel too bad about, I think it's going to be a good one. But, you know, one of the things I have seen is our, our friends up north of the border, you know, RBC is Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, the Canadian equities are showing some superior relative strength to the, the S&P 500. And, you know, they, they really uh, moved up quite a bit. I think Mexico's number one. Uh, Colombia number two and India number three, but <clears throat> we've had some a big move in Canadian equities, and mostly it's energy materials, which you know uh, Canada has a lot of. <clears throat> so I looked at a couple of the ETFs and and uh, Canadian ETFs, and, and a lot of them which have a uh, you know if you look at a couple of them, they have financials, energy materials, and industrials are the main uh, thing with a little bit of information technology. So that's kind of it. Uh, Interesting scenario. Now, you know, we had a, an inversion of the yield curve, which the people on CNBC went nuts over uh, in early April. And the spread between that's the spread between the two and the 10 year Treasury yield has widened recently. And the longer t- term yields have risen, while the short term yields have fallen a little bit, which means that the yield curve is starting to steepen a little. Now, the question is are we going to break this going, this downtrend line? going all the way back to 1981. <clears throat> Life would change then, I think. We'd be going back to a more standardized market, all right? Uh, now, some people have been asking me about, you know, crude oil. Crude oil's been negative momentum for about three, four weeks. Matter of fact, all the commodities have been negative for about three or four weeks. I think it's interesting that crude uh, prices bounce right off the bullish support line and turn back up. Uh, you know, which was at 93, I think. Uh, so the day of the invasion, we were at 134, and uh, we pulled all the way back to 93 over a period of time. So, you know, that that talk uh, I said, you know, where uh, the day of invasion is usually the bottom in the market has been so far. We keep our fingers crossed. And, you know, it was the high in oil for a while. So we'll see if that continues. Uh, now, precious metal. Uh you know, we, we saw gold return to a point and figure buy signal at 1970 this week. Uh, so it extends its gain to about 7.89%. And silver is up very quietly, about 10% this year. Okay. So precious metals have been in a sleepy area of the market since topping out back in August of 2020. Now, remember, you know, we, we came out and said to buy them in 2018. All right. They made a big move for two years and then they died for a while. But the precious metals, you know, both of them have fund scores that are quite high now. And uh, that's an area a lot of people do not have much, um, uh, you know, exposure to. And I think, you know, it's something to consider. Uh, you know, I think it's something you want to really pay close attention to, as a matter of fact, because, uh, you know, it, it's it's out there and uh you know you have to start to think about stuff like that and 
Now, look, I tell you, technology remains under pressure. And uh, if you look at the big rally recently, it was, it was comprised of the FANG stocks like Apple and Microsoft. And uh, they all had the same chart. And, and it's one of those charts where, you know, if, if, it, if they break out, they're going a lot higher. Uh, but they break down, they're probably got, they got a problem for a while. Okay, so uh, you got to that's something you got to pay very close attention to. I think most people are, have an over concentration of technology. Uh, it was place to be for a while there. Um, but if you look at the relative strength of the semiconductor stocks, like I said, they you know they're, that's breaking down and that's not a good sign. Now they're very oversold. I think they're 160 percent oversold. So that's something you have to pay fairly close attention to. But the, uh, you know, if you look at the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, the SOX, the MACD indicators have rolled back over to negative uh, territory. So, uh, you know, it's something to, to you know, you, you have to be thinking about things like that ahead of time so you don't get burned. OK, uh, now, one of the things that really struck me as interesting this week is I wrote down the name of pretty much every coal stock I know. And. Uh, they're all breaking out. <laughs> now, I don't even follow cold stocks, but you know they're they're in my uh, uh, my portfolio. So I not in my portfolio, but in my uh, machine. So it was amazing. I wrote down twenty coal stocks on Thursday morning. So you know, short term, uh, you know, equities uh, are turning up, which is you know we we thought they would be on a weekly basis. Uh, but I think the key is, is that, you know, coal broke its downtrend line going way back, you know, about 10 years almost. And uh, so it does have a, a, a further downtrend line uh, uh, up there. So I think it'll be a trade, but it's amazing, you know. Uh, now, the other thing I'm seeing is uh, small and mid-cap growth and value ratios have broken multi-year uptrends. And uh, what you're looking at here is there are, there are signs that the IWM should outperform uh, both the QQQ and the SPX. The small cap growth, which was hit the hardest, uh, might rebound a little bit. However, I'm not sure. But I think the value index uh, relative to the S&P shows the break of a relative uptrend going back to 2016. So that's that's you know the mid caps, uh, especially in the growth area, probably is is not something you want to pay attention to. But I, I do think it's interesting that um, you know you look at the coal stocks and almost every one of them broken out. And uh, everyone, I don't think there's one that I, I don't know of that broke out. And they broke out of a pretty big consolidation. So uh, I, I guess you know uh, that's the place to be now. And uh, on a pullback, obviously. And natural gas broke seven bucks this week. And, you know, it has nothing but air till about uh, 11, 12 bucks. So, um, you know, this is all about not drilling. OK, so. All right. Hey, let's take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Once again, go to WHK's website down to, to the uh, podcast down to Smart Investor Show and uh, set up a time where we can have a cup of coffee. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, you know, I always talk about insiders because uh, most of the time they're pretty good. I know we've had a couple of disappointments in the last uh, quarter. We had our friends, our Baker brothers, got hammered in Kodiak. And uh, also, by the way, it was a major brokerage firm that upgraded it that, you know, on Thursday and on Monday they came out with bad news. But, uh, and Baker brothers bought like $27 million worth of stock. That's a lot. Uh, but usually they're exceptional, you know, that's, what's interesting, but, uh, nine out of 10 times, the insiders know the company better than the analysts, or they know what's going on better than the analysts. And when they buy a lot, you got to pay attention. Now I'm not looking for the guy buying a thousand shares of a $20 stock. I'm looking for million dollar purchases here. Okay. And, uh, this week we had, uh, Brace Inc. software. Remember we talked about them last week. We had a couple guys buy $7 million of stock. Well, they're still at it. Um, they bought, 
an additional million dollars for the stock, same two guys, uh, Doug Pepper and Matt J- Jacobson. And uh, so that, that's an interesting stock. That was a hot new issue, you know, that came, I think it was 70 bucks, it's now 43. Uh, so you like seeing stuff like that. Uh, also, uh, Energy Transfer um, is another name. You know, we had a, a buyer of last week. We've got another buyer. He bought another, uh, well, it's the same guy, he bought another million dollars stock. He bought $5.67 million last week. So that's good. And uh, here's an, another interesting one. Uh, Jack Schuler, uh, who's been getting killed in a couple stocks, he's in the healthcare area. And he's, this guy was a former director at Abbott, you know, so he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, the, look, I could tell you, I, I went through the, the biotech and, and small uh, or the small medical tech stocks. And I bet you there's 700 stocks that were above 10 that are below two now. Uh, there's been no buyers, you know. So whenever there's a seller, there's a problem. And uh, but anyway, this is a company called Biodesic. It's a diagnostic and research company. It was six dollars. It's now a buck sixty-four. And Jack uh, bought uh, 2.7 million shares, so he upped his position to 11 million. That's a pretty good size uh, uh, move. Uh, also, uh, Matt uh, Strodeback, who's a pretty smart guy too, he bought. Uh, He's a director, by the way. Uh, he bought a million five a while back and then just bought another uh, 780. And then John Patience, who is another guy that's not a uh, very bright, bright gentleman, uh, he bought about half a million. And then we had two other people uh, buy stock. And once again, Jay Farmer, uh, chief executive officer of Rocket Mortgage. You know, we had several buyers last week. Uh, he came in and he bought another $600,000 worth of stock uh, on the 11th, 12th, and 13th. He bought $200,000 each. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of a contrary play because nobody thinks mortgage stocks are ever going to come out of the, the hole again. Uh, and our friend uh, at Allset E-Home Entertainment, which is a, a REIT, uh, his name is uh, Hang Chan. He's a chief executive officer. He bought some last week, uh, and he bought another million dollars worth this week. And then uh, Terra Wolf, which is in capital markets, we had uh, Paul Prager, who's chief executive officer, step up by two and a half million dollars worth. Uh, he bought three hundred seventeen thousand shares, so he doubled his position, which is usually pretty good. And then also uh, Mersana Therapeutics, uh, Andrew Hack, who's a director, bought two point five million. And our friends at Groupon, uh, Jan Berta, uh, Barta, I'm sorry, who had bought uh, a ton of stock, bought another uh, two point four million. Remember, he bought last week, uh, quite a bit last week, so that's uh, uh, fairly interesting. And also we had uh, – oh, can't find it. Uh, BDSX, we had several people uh, – uh, BDTX, I'm sorry. We had a couple people buy – who 10% owners, by the way, uh, a bio, biotech venture fund by a million dollars worth of stock, too. So quite a, quite a few people uh, uh, bought – uh, so, uh, by the way, I want to mention Jay Farmer bought half a million uh, dollars worth of stock last week of Rocket, and then he bought the six hundred thousand dollars this week. So he made a million dollar bet, and that's usually a pretty good sized bet for for all of us. And then finally, uh, uh, Thor Industries with recreation vehicles. We had uh, director Jim Zimer, who's a pretty smart guy, from what I understand. Uh, he bought not eight hundred thousand, and and uh, he had bought a couple. Uh, a couple hundred thousand two weeks ago. And then Lyra Therapeutics, uh, we had the executive chair by a million dollars, Harlan Waxdahl. So, you know, a couple other names that need to know. So, look, uh, one of the things that I think we have to talk about, and and that is people are really getting overzealous on the short term. And I think we're still in the secular bull market. And the reason I think that is there's still all sorts of money out in the system, okay? Usually, there's speculative excesses when the markets peak. You know, in 2000, you know, people were buying stocks in the morning and selling them in the afternoon. You know, one of the things, you know, going into January, I had five, maybe eight people where we buying puts and buying calls at the same time. And stocks would either open up. 20 bucks or open up down 20 bucks. And so what we did was we, you know, if it opened up 20 bucks, we, we took the call, took the profit, and then weaseled our way out of the puts uh, after, you know, most of them got weak after that. So 
we did that for a month and a half, two months, and then it just got scary. All right. Um, you know, we, we had been selling a lot of stocks at that point. So we got to think that during these bull markets, they last from 16 to 18 years. Um, so the current like, you know, cycle peak will likely be around 2034, somewhere around there. All right. That's the 17 year mark. And I think you got to also understand that, you know, if we if we go up to just a 2,000 percent increase, and the normal bull market is about 2,300, you'd be talking about 13,500 to 14,000 on the S&P 500. We're you know we're talking about 4,100 being the line to stand on the downside. So now the problem is you got these four-year cycles that screw everything up. <laughs> so there's four of them within most bull markets, and and you have a hard down period, you know, because there are bear markets and bull markets, secular bull markets, and as are bull markets and secular bear markets, right? I mean, the housing markets went up all through the first six years of the bear market. Uh, gold, oil, they all went up during the bear market, okay? So, and then you have a, a, a big move up out of that down move, and then a sideways pattern uh, to up, uh, where dividends are very important, which I stress most of the time. And then, you know, you have one more oops, and then you take off again. All right. So we're we're about two and a half, three years into the cycle. So uh, good times are coming again. But I think one of the things we have to do is, uh, you know, we constantly talk about the four month and the 13 month moving averages. And you got to remember, in statistics, you always regress to the mean. So the four month was way above the 13 month for some time, and it's been above the 13 month for a long period of time. It's probably going to go down at least touch it, if not break down, just to make sure we all can't sleep. That's the way it works. You know, when you can't sleep, is the best time to buy. And the S&P 500 still has a lot of monthly momentum that it's got to digest. All right. Now, back in, you know, this happened back in 2011 uh, or 2012, I guess it was, 2013. We went sideways. We had a couple oops on the on that sideways move, and then we took off again. And then we had a big oops in, in 2020, and then we took off like a bat out of you know where, and went to the top of the trend line. So I think, well, you know, there's two types of corrections. It's either price or time. I'm not sure which one this is going to be. If the Fed gets real aggressive, it could be price. Who knows? But I think you just got to keep 4,100 in the back of your mind and 13,000 in Nasdaq Composite. Okay, but if you look at if you look at stocks versus bonds, stocks are still a place to be. And, uh, you know, the, the question is, the litmus test here, is this a bear market bounce or a sustainable rally? And that's what we don't know, all right? But with with the bearish sentiment for the AAII poll at 15, I mean, the bullish sentiment at 15%, I don't know there's too many people that are bullish at this point, all right? Um, the bearish is way up there. And even with the institutions, only 24.7% of them are bullish. So it's something to think about. Now, what would I do right now? Uh, when stocks are down, yields are up. All right? Best time to buy yield is when it's up. All right? So what I'd be looking at is the prime income list and the dividend growth portfolios. All right? These things have wonderful uh, uh, dividend yields, and the dividend growth portfolios, they, they grow each year. And what's interesting, is they tend to pace very closely with the S&P 500, maybe half a percentage point below, with about half the volatility to two-thirds of the volatility. Uh, so the beta is much lower than the market. That is what doesn't keep you up at night. All right? So there you go. So uh, anyway, I, I think those are important. The prime income list you know, has a lot of uh, real estate investment trusts. We've been talking about those. Got a few utilities in there. And those things have been working. They've been working, folks, and, and they're kind of counter-cyclical. Counter but I think uh, if we have any inflation, because I don't think inflation is going to go away. I think it's going to, uh, you know, as they raise rates, it'll begrudgingly step back a little bit. You see, we can't afford it because of the treasuries. Uh, you know, we've put so many treasuries out and we're so far in debt that if we did, we, we'd crush, us, sorry, crush ourselves. So they got to be very careful of that. And I think they will be. Um, so something to keep uh, uh, pay attention to. The other things I would suggest is you go to my webpage, all right? Uh, you go to WHK1420 and take you know go to uh, 
either uh, the uh, the insight thing on the top of the page, and there's all sorts of information in there. It's research. It's stuff that you need to know beyond just the stock market financials, and it changes constantly. Okay, so every week, every two weeks, there's new information on there, and then under bulletin board is Rob Schleimer's stuff, and you know Rob is uh, one of the best technicians on the planet. He came from Fundstrat. Uh, you know, Fundstrat doesn't pick up people if they don't think they're good, and he's been he's been fairly right. All right, he's you know he's said look out below for a while, and 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 you know we, we he was correct. He said it back in, uh, in November, so. Also, the electrical grid, I'm telling you, if we're going to electric cars, that's going to be a place to make a lot of money in about four or five years. Hey, thanks for listening. This is Smart Investor Show. Have a great weekend. Happy Easter. Uh, I hope you spend it with your loved ones. In the meantime, remember, buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. 7742 or visit his website rbcwmfa.com slash tim hayes that's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash tim hayes please join us again next saturday for the smart investor hour to hear more smart investing from tim hayes of rbc wealth management Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.